0: Hello everyone, welcome to Voice of the Wild, a weekly podcast initiative by Naturalist Foundation. This is the 8th episode, ending on 11th of July, 2020. With this podcast, we will bring you closer to the world of wildlife conservation, scientific research and government environmental policies. I am Shubham Soni and with me, I have...
1: And I am Vanishri Naik. Today, in the 8th episode of the podcast, we will first be looking at some major issues faced by the ecosystems of the world. Plastic has entered the Antarctic terrestrial food chain, causing many issues. Talking about such issues in our own country, there have been many unnatural deaths of lions in the Gir National Park. Even though such problems keep happening day after day, humans are still not learning the consequences of our ill-planned developmental projects. Such kind of projects are still going on in places like the Goa Sanctuary. But it's not the same case everywhere. And there is still hope as Maharashtra has planned to declare Tilari Forest Area as a conservation reserve. Such decisions are very crucial in our country as we have been finding new species of animals with each passing day. Also, we'll be talking about some endangered animals like the gaurial. That have seen a new ray of hope due to pollution clearance of the Yamuna River. We have some interesting topics today, so without further ado, let's get started.
0: Plastic has entered the Antarctic terrestrial food chain. Scientists have found small bits of plastic in the guts of tiny, soil dwelling organisms in the Antarctic. This raises our concerns that microplastic pollution has already got deeply rooted inside world's most remote land-based food systems. But what is microplastic? Microplastics are bits of plastic which are less than 5 mm. This can include extremely small plastic pieces included in household products and large plastic pieces that degrade into smaller fragments. Microplastics enter the diet of fish, birds and our own food as well. And one reason for that is it's really very difficult to break down plastic in a very short period of time. And this will lead to a large scale accumulation of plastic over a long period of time in the seas and the fishes will continue to accumulate it inside themselves. There is a dire need to reduce the amount of plastic in the sea. Some of the extreme estimates even indicate that the amount of plastic in the sea will increase until there is more plastic than fish. A huge proportion of plastic inside our oceans is the so-called microplastic which is often so small or may be hidden that it can't be seen by the naked eye. Then there is sunlight, bacteria, wave motion, seasonal changes and other processes which can change the properties of these microplastics. Collectively these weathering processes slowly degrade the microplastics to smaller and smaller sizes and chemical fragments. Such kind of weathering also leads to the distribution of microplastics throughout. On the entire ocean surface, the depth and the seafloor too, and with the possibility of entering seafood. Microplastics can get stuck in the gills, mouths, stomachs and the digestive systems making it really hard for fishes to breed and eat. While the infiltration of microplastics throughout the oceans is well known, researchers said their finding provided the first evidence of contamination in Antarctic terrestrial food chain. The author of this particular study say plastics have therefore entered some of the most remote soil food webs on the planet with a potential risk to the whole biota and the ecosystems too. The scientists have also warned that this could be a new stressor for fragile polar ecosystems which are already facing threats from the climate change and global warming. In these studies, scientists have focused on an insect-like creature called springtail it's a columbola called Cryptopigus antarcticus. As the name suggests, it is one of the few to survive in the Antarctica's harsh environments. Indeed, it is dominant in places not covered by ice, and its main diet consists mainly of algae and lichen. The team of researchers, which was led by scientists from Italy's University of Siena, collected creatures from a chunk of polystyrene foam covered in green layer of microalgae, moss, and lichens, on the King George Island in South Shetland Islands. The human activity in the area is considerably more because of the scientific research stations, airports, military facilities, and upon that, tourism, which makes it one of the most contaminated regions of Antarctica. Scientists, by examining this columbola using an imaging technique with infrared and comparing the fragments of polystyrene, the researchers equivocally detected traces of plastic in their guts. The author said they believe the creatures ate plastic fragments while grazing on their usual food. Given the key role of this columbola species, which is commonly called a springtail, in Antarctica's ecosystem, scientists also suspect that the microplastic pollution has reached even more remote polar regions. The direct implications of plastic ingestion by this species are land pollution, and also transfer of these microplastics to their direct predator which are the moss mite. The scientist from University of Siena Elisa Bergami also says that the contamination on land has drawn less attention than ocean pollution. She called for more research into the potential toxicity of exposure to plastic which is associated with pathogens, contaminants and antibiotic resistance. I think such kind of studies Uh, definitely makes it clear that we are only starting to understand the impacts of pollution on the behavior and the toxic responses of aquatic life forms to it. It also suggests the urgency to create more public awareness concerning this grave issue so that the authorities and industry can better confront the issue of microplastic pollution. Nowadays, it is also very common to see media reports which talk about sea creatures which are stranded due to plastic or uh, which are affected due to microplastics in their gut. For example, the whales and seabirds which die due to the ingestion of plastic and olive ridleys which injure themselves by getting stuck into the ghost nets. But at the same time, it's also very encouraging to see people like the fishermen coming ahead to support the wildlife. There are various NGOs which come forward to clean up the beaches to help the wildlife and to support them. There is also a need to make products that have minimum risk for microplastic pollution. We need new waste handling and recycling options that reduce microplastic emissions. It's very unlikely that we will be plastic-free in the future, but we must take action to encounter the increasing amount of plastic in the oceans and the effect it has on our environment. But it's not as easy as it sounds. The world will not change if you don't.
1: Just hearing the name of Gir brings beautiful landscapes and the image of the majestic Asiatic lion comes to our mind. Gir is known worldwide for its Asian lions, which is its only home. Historically, they inhabited many parts of West Asia and the Middle East along with India. Until in the 19th century, they lived only in Saudi Arabia, eastern Turkey, Iran, Mesopotamia and India. Since the early 20th century, it has been prohibited only to the Gir National Park and the surrounding areas. According to 2015 census, there are around 523 lions in Gir. The population of lion has been increasing day by day. Gir is located in the Saurashtra region of Gujarat in the western state of India. The people of Gir, the government... And the voluntary organizations have made a huge contribution to the protection and conservation of the lions of Gir. Once upon a time, the lion population had reached only 12 individuals. At that time, India was under British rule and the lions were being hunted indiscriminately. The people of Gir were worried and went to the Junagadh Nawab about this. The Nawab of Junagarh also stopped hunting lions keeping in mind the sentiments of the people. Since then, the lion population has been growing very well. The people of Gir and the forest department are aggressively working for the conservation of lions in Gir. There is no predator of lions here, but due to the increasing development and the unnatural changes taking place in the forest, there is a crisis against the lion. Many lions have died unnaturally in the Gir since the past few years. Day by day, the number of lions has increased and these lions have started living in other parts of Gir, that is, somewhat outside the boundaries of the national park. It is a good thing that both the number and the habitat of the lions has increased. But is it really the same when it comes to conflicts around these lions? There is a train that passes in the middle of the Gir forest. There are many open wells in and around the national park. So the accidental deaths of lions has also increased. Due to development and tourism, friction on Gir and lions has increased a lot. Forests are becoming chained and man is entering the forest. Only the last few years... New troubles have been reported in the unnatural deaths of the lion. In the year 2018, 23 lions died simultaneously due to CDV, Canine Distemper Virus. Canine Distemper Virus is found in carnivores. CDV is commonly found in stray dogs. Surprisingly, the virus was also found in lions. People started worrying about the existence of these very lions. The virus was found in the lions of East Gir. Upon learning about the matter, the Forest Department immediately rescued the lions from their supposed area of East Gir for treatment. FD had taken samples of the rescued lions and sent them to the National Institute of Virology in Pune, Maharashtra, for further investigation. For more help, the Forest Department was called Dr. Richard Koch from Tanzania. Many lions also died during the treatment. The virus was eradicated from East Gir shortly after the efforts of the Forest Department and the locals. After two years, CDV, that is in 2020, the sudden deaths of lions started again. About 92 lions have died since January 2020. Unnatural death is feared again in the same way as the death occurred two years ago. Preliminary investigations reveal that the unnatural death of many lions was due to the disease called Babesia. Many lions have died in infinity while many have died in accidents. The existence of lions of Gir has once again been questioned. The survival of the Asiatic lion is at stake. This time too, the people of Gir and the forest department have worked hard to reduce the risk of this disease. The government also showed readiness to give an alternative home for the Asiatic lions in Kunho, Madhya Pradesh. But will the people of Kunho be as tolerant as the people of Gir? Can they be ready to live with the lions and give the efforts to save the lion like the people of Gir is doing? Gir is the only home for Asian lions in the world. The people of Gir have been living and growing with lions in Gir for many many years now. It is because of the nature and the feelings of the people for gear and lions. Let's hope that the relationship between gear and lions remains the same, and that the Asian lion continues to enhance the pride of gear and India.
2: We all know Goa for its pristine beaches by the west coast, but we often forget the natural treasures that lie on the east. Here, along the borders with Karnataka are dense forests of the Western Ghats. These forests are where beautiful natural marvels like the famous Dudhsagar waterfalls lies. This habitat is a home for many unique and wonderful wild flora and fauna. But there is no rest and peace of mind for the wildlife of this area, as about 170 hectares of the Bhagwan Wildlife Sanctuary which lies in this area is under the threat of land clearance and destruction this sanctuary covers over 10 percent of all the forest in goa and this is where three major government projects have been planned the first one is an expansion of the two-lane national highway second is the doubling of the castle rock to kulim madgao railway line and an establishment of a 400 kilovolt power transmission line Now for me to be able to tell you whether these projects are necessary evil for development or are actually unnecessary, I would have to talk to various experts, read the EIA and understand the entire situation, but that's the concern I am here to discuss today. In the decision making process for the project, the science is being disregarded and the findings are being ignored. The meetings for these projects were conducted online by the National Board of Wildlife. The EIA conducted for these projects or uh, pointed out impacts on the soil erosion, degradation of the soil and possibilities of landslide, and also threats on aquatic reservoirs and water catchment areas of important rivers. But instead of taking this concern seriously, most of the findings of the EIA were not even mentioned to the new members of the meeting. The report also mentions the presence of native endangered wildlife, but contrary to its finding in the meeting, it was declared that no endangered species are in the area of impact. The Chief Wildlife Warden raised multiple objections, but still, the Chief Minister Pramod Savant approved the highway project. Today, when we truly need thoughtful, well planned infrastructure projects, with minimum impact on nature and proper mitigation measures, the attitude of governing bodies is really alarming. This attitude also backs the citizens in two extreme corners. One where the citizens who are concerned about environment have lost the trust in government's ability to preserve and protect the nature and wildlife of the areas. And the other where people who would benefit from these projects believe that environmental clearance are an irrational obstruction to these projects. Today, with modern technology, it is definitely possible to develop projects with minimum impact on environment and wildlife and still have maximum benefits for the people, but for that to happen, a healthy communication and conversation between scientists and the governing bodies is necessary.
1: The state government has planned to declare Telari in the Konkan as a wildlife sanctuary. It is a patch of evergreen forest in the Sindhudurg region of the Western Ghats. It will be used to develop the tiger populations of Sayadri Tiger Reserve which currently has only 7 tigers. Sayadri Tiger Reserve is connected down south to the Radhanagri Wildlife Sanctuary. Telari falls in the corridor and its development as a tiger reserve will help the larger program of repopulating Sayadri Tiger Reserve. The proposal of Tilari as a wildlife sanctuary will increase the security of the region. The department would also be able to ensure habitat and corridor development. Camera trap images conclude that there are around two adults and four cubs in the region. However, there are some disputes over this decision as there are many patches of forest that are converted into rubber and pineapple plantations. These plantations are power fences, thus affecting wildlife movement. The locals fear that the eco-sensitive zone, if proposed as a wildlife sanctuary, might affect their plantations. Thus, the earlier plans of converting 57 square kilometers into wildlife sanctuary was trimmed down to 26 square kilometers. An official said that while the area of the proposed sanctuary alone cannot be adequate for the large number of tigers, the big cats could also use the nearby forest patches. They can move around in the buffer zone of Sayadri Tiger Reserve and its corridors. While female tigers make around 10 to 15 square kilometers of territory, it could generally come down to around 6 to 8 kilometers if there is good availability of prey base. Males usually need a larger territory of around 25 to 40 square kilometers. The number of tigers in Sayadri Tiger Reserve is very low right now because these big cats do not breed due to problems like poor prey base and weak corridor connections. The authorities are planning on translocating a few tigers to the reserve as translocation has helped the tiger populations in reserves like Panna and Sariska. Currently, Maharashtra has six tiger reserves and the Tiger Census results of 2014 said that Maharashtra has around 190 big cats, which is more than the population of 2010, which was only 169 tigers.
0: Lizard taxonomy has seen a massive boost in recent times. Scientists have discovered a huge amount of novel species and have also documented amazing natural history of these reptiles. In the past one month only we have seen five new species of dwarf geckos that is the geckos of genus nemaspis being described from a comparatively drier habitat than the tropical forest which are typical for these dwarf geckos these new species from such dry and arid wastelands in that the riparian habitats are definitely more biodiverse than we had previously thought each of the new species have been named for different aspects of coloration, habitat, or geographic location. For example, the Nemespis bangara, or the golden day dwarf gecko is named for the yellow tail tip of the species and its type locality which is less than 30 kilometers from India's largest gold mine which is the kolar gold fields. The Nemespis graniticola or the horsley dwarf gecko is named after the granite boulders on which it lives and the third one which is Nemaspis Yelagiransis or the Yellagiri dwarf gecko is named after its type locality which is Yellagiri in Tamil Nadu. These three new geckos represent a completely new clade of rock-dwelling dwarf geckos called the Bangara clade. And this Bangara clade came into existence probably because this whole clade was isolated from other members of the genus for at least 15 million years. These three new species are only known from isolated mountain type of localities, which are just 120 to 60 kilometers apart. The elevation is mostly more than 100 meters above sea level. These new species are known only from isolated mountain habits that are just 60 to 120 kilometers apart from each other. Generally. These geckors are found at an altitude of 1,000 meters above sea level. The discovery of these new species also gives us insights into how different groups have coped with the climate change in the past, which can potentially also inform us about the effects of future changes. How has a group that is largely restricted to cool forests of Western Ghats managed to persist in the warm and exposed open rocky granite habitats of the Mysore Plateau? The answer lies in the large granite boulders. Studies have shown that these granite boulders buffer against the climate change by providing cool and stable microhabitat with a half range of fluctuation and temperatures of up to 10 degrees cooler at a depth of just about 1.6 meters. It is a the team of these young researchers of Ishaan Agarwal, Tejas Thakre, Shonakpal, Akshay Khandekar who brought about this novel discovery. This team also further went on to describe one of the largest of the species in India, the magnificent dwarf gecko. It took a six-year-long study to bring about this discovery from the rocky regions of Karnataka. Akshay Khandegar, who is the lead and corresponding author of this research, tells us that when they first saw this gecko in 2014 near Sakleshpur, they thought it could be a new species to science, but owing to the lack of comparative research material, From the already identified geckos of this genus, they had to conduct more studies. And hence, it took a long time before they could officially describe this gecko. Talking about dwarf geckos, these are one of the oldest Indian squamates, that is the largest in the order of snakes and lizards, that originated around 50 million years ago from the Western Ghats. And such novel discoveries are very important for conservation of such biodiversity hotspots. So western Ghats are not only rich for the biodiversity but they are also very critical for the water which we need to protect and this comes from the renowned Indian herpetologist Romulus Whittaker who has been into conservation since a very long time now. The magnificent dwarf gecko because of its huge size is named as Nemaspis magnifica by this very group of four scientists. So the latest of this lot of dwarf geckos which are described lately is the Nimaspis avasabine which is India's smallest gecko nid with an average snout length of about 29 millimeters or maybe just about 3 centimeters you can say. So Akshay khandekar and Ishaan Agarwal collaborated with one of the leading gecko experts of the world that is Dr. Aaron Bauer for the discovery of this lizard which is first endemic from the Velikonda region of Eastern Ghats. Many new species are known from this type locality which is a lowland riparian habitat with a less than 200 meter elevation above sea level. It's a dry evergreen forest with a base of about 1200 meter above sea level peak. This discovery also extends the range of genus in peninsular India by 130 to 150 kilometers to the northeast and suggests that the genus is likely to be more widely distributed than understood. Looking at the tremendous amount of diversity which is getting described lately, I am sure you all must have realized that how less do we know about these charismatic animals and how much is still unexplored.
1: Ever since the lockdown was imposed due to the havoc creating pandemic of COVID-19, we have been getting many calamitous news from all over the world. But there's always a glimmer of hope, even in the baddest of the days. And here's a quite positive one, which was circulated a few days back. It was about the Gharials returning back to the River Yamuna after nearly a decade amid the lockdown. So as we all know, River Yamuna is the second longest river with the size of 1,376 kilometers. It is a major waterway in India and also provides water for the capital of our country. Along with that, it also has a reputation of being called as one of the most polluted rivers in the country as well as in the world. Well, in 1909, it was said that the water of this river was almost as blue and as clear as the sky. But over the years, due to rapid growth in industrialization and human development near the river banks and the other areas associated with it, has caused a high density of pollution in the water body, with industrial waste, sewage and other hazardous waste being dumped, as well as other factors such as having a municipal disposal site and soil erosion caused due to deforestation, which has all resulted in increased population levels in the river over the decades. All of this took a toll on the river's water quality. As Yamuna, apart from being the major water source of human settlements, is also an important habitat for major flora and fauna species, endemic and migratory animal species which include the gangetic dolphins, gharials, different turtles, fishes and birds etc. Many of these are present in the IUCN's red list category due to one main reason which is habitat loss. Today we are going to talk about the gharials in particular. So the gharial, also known as gavial, is a critically endangered species of fish-eating crocodile found in Asia. In India, they are found in major rivers such as Ganges and Yamuna along with their tributaries. So in the last few decades, the gharial population started declining with a great pace as these reptiles are quite sensitive to pollution and habitat loss, caused due to human developmental projects and siltation which turned their homes into wreckage. In 2007, there were 100 dead garyals found in the Chambal river, which is a tributary of the Yamuna. These populations of garyals were thought to be poisoned by the toxins present in the river. Their population almost vanished from Yamuna and its parts as the last ones were reported back in 2011 and the situation was devastating. But always nature finds a way. Fast forward to the present day. Few weeks back, an amusing news was celebrated by many naturalists, environmentalists and conservationists all over the world. The return of baby gharials back in Yamuna after almost a decade they were normally observed in the Chambal, but it is positive news that they are back in the Yamuna, which also indicates that the water quality of the river has improved. As the reports by the Forest Department said, the Garyals laid eggs in Itawa region, which is almost about 30 kilometers upstream from Yamuna. A team of forest guards and other citizens from nearby villages have been volunteering round-the-clock monitoring the movements of these baby garyals. The forest official suggested that it was due to the COVID-19 lockdown, which indirectly acted in favour of Mother Nature. Return of the garyals is quite good news, as this also suggests that the pollution levels have come down, as the garyals are known as the pollution indicators of the river. Slowly and steadily, other animals and fish species are also started dwelling in the waters of the most polluted river yet again. The fewer pollution reports amid lockdown as humans took a back step, worked greatly in the favor of nature, is the picture we can observe right now. Our planet has at last got time to rejuvenate itself with a well-deserved break from climate change globalization and industrialization as we all have also observed that due to the decreased pollution many ecosystems have started to heal be it in a small amount we can see what positive impact it can bring if we work towards improving and not just over exploiting and giving back to nature all over the globe, many species, be it endemic or migratory, are returning back to their natural habitats and hopefully we can see some good population growth of many such endangered species as the gharials
2: So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll keep you updated with the interesting events and happenings in the world of environment and wildlife. All you have to do is like, share and follow us. And please, become our Patreon and support our young team of fact-checkers and content creators. The link to our Patreon account is in the description below. Thank you and see you next week.